What's up? You're listening to Fork the Product. I'm your host, Nick Casares. And I'm your other host, Zach Cohen. Fork the Product is a podcast that explores the intersection of blockchain, product, and user experience. We interview founders and builders to understand how they're approaching problems in the blockchain space. In this episode, we sit down with Amy Nye, product designer at CryptoKitties. If you're living under a rock and don't know CryptoKitties, it's one of the first Ethereum-based decentralized apps to gain some degree of mainstream adoption. It's a game developed by Axiom Zen, centered around breedable, collectible, and adorable cats that are one of a kind and 100% owned by you. In our conversation, we get an inside look at how the team behind this early success is tackling the challenges of designing intuitive experiences on top of blockchains and get a peek at what's coming in the future. So thanks uh, for joining us, Amy, and welcome to Fork the Product. Uh, We're really excited to have you on the show. Yeah, excited to be here. So why don't we get started with a little bit of an intro uh, about yourself, your background, and, you know, the obvious question of what was your path to crypto? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, my background is in UX design. Um, so I joined uh, a company called Axiom Zen about four and a half, almost five years ago now. Um, we were like a small startup. We started doing a lot of like, you know, client services, a little bit of internal stuff. Um, you know, as the company grew, we all the internal stuff, we ended up doing a lot of... Um, like new technology. So we played in like the VR space for a bit. We played in AI for a bit. Uh, and then at some point last, last year or something, we were like, Oh, this blockchain thing is a, is a big deal. Um, and then lo and behold, we created a little thing called CryptoKitties, and here we are. And, um, it's like what, five, six, seven months now into CryptoKitties. Um, and most of the designers, um, have kind of moved on towards that. Um, so we're all doing some sort of blockchain-esque, um, whether it be building for CryptoKitties, whether it be building like platform, um, whether it be thinking about what blockchain means um, as like, you know, for products. Um, that's kind of where we are now. That's very cool. Uh, a little bit curious, uh, can you t- just give us a sense for how big Axiom Zen has been over this sort of life cycle. I'm curious to just get a, a bit of a picture painted. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's it's a bit of a tough question to answer because do you mean Axiom Zen as a whole or like for CryptoKitties? Yeah, a, a bit of both, both sort of leading both. up to it. And, and then mm-hmm. how many people started on the blockchain uh, mm-hmm. sort of investigation and then morphed into CryptoKitties? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, I mean, the company itself, like Axiom Zen, when I joined, I was, I think, like higher 12 or something. So we were super, super tiny. Um, and then in Vancouver, like very few people were doing uh, like new technology just because it's like so expensive. Um, and then as we grew, um, I think the way that we grew was very like Valley. Like a lot of our clients were in the Valley. A lot of our uh, partners, um, like we we like to work with our clients in a partnership aspect. Um, a lot of them were in the Valley. Um, and then when we did a lot of the kind of initial startup style projects, which we've done a lot of, the uh, the teams are usually quite small. So they're usually like a product manager, like an engineer, a designer, and then they just kind of build something. Um, I think for CryptoKitties, it was a little bit bigger because we had... Um, Actually, when I started, the guy who started like a week before me, I remember like the week I started, he was talking about blockchain and he was talking about Bitcoin. He's And I think Bitcoin at the time was like 300 bucks. And he's like, yeah, there's this thing. It's really interesting. You guys should buy it. We had someone come in and talk about it. And here we are like, you know, four and a half years later. And 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 he was really integral to the product. His, uh, his name is Dieter. And, and he was the guy who actually uh, did the ERC721. Um, I think he was the one... What is it called? The uh, he was the one who uh, the EIP. Yeah, he he, he was. I, I actually just learned this the other day. The reason why it's called ERC seven twenty one is because that's the issue number that he made when he uh, like essentially forked it, and <laughs> wow, and that's what got accepted. So it was kind of cool. Nice. Yeah, that is cool. Um, yeah. So so CryptoKitties itself was him. It was another product manager and it was like a couple of engineers. So the team was like five people or something. And then really quickly we're like, oh my goodness, we need to like build this. <laughs> um, oh, sorry. And there were like two designers that started, one who did product and one who did all the illustrations uh, of all the cats. Um, 
yeah, and then we grew pretty quick because it was like, okay, we, we need to like build out all these other features. And I think the team now is, oh man, it's uh, like 30, wow. 40 something. There's like new people every week. Yeah. And yeah, working on like that's various really things. Cool. And Get, getting bigger. It's really, yeah. So I, I, I'm pretty sure that everybody on this listening to this podcast knows what CryptoKitties is, but for the uninitiated, <laughs> yeah. tell us, tell us about it. What is CryptoKitties? So CryptoKitties is, uh, it's, it's something that came about because when we thought about blockchain as a technology, we were like, well, what can it really do? So the Ethereum blockchain was really interesting because it allowed us to, well, it, it allowed for things called smart contracts. So, I mean, as, as people listening probably know, like a, like the blockchain is just a ledger and, um, what a smart contract allows you to do is I think, and I, I might be getting this wrong too, but I think it's, it's the ability to like edit the, the nuances of what that ledger is. So the difference between say an ERC 20 token and an ERC 721 token. So, uh, we call it a non-fungible token versus a fungible token. Um, so the 721 essentially is like, well, what are the traits of this thing? Um, what are the traits of this token? So when you have uh, like a, like an Ethereum, like, like when you have Ethereum, like one is exchangeable with another, but when you have a crypto Katie, um, they all look different because they have different genes. So based on this like new smart contract that we wrote, um, CryptoKitties are breedable, they're uh, unique, they have different genetics, you can breed them together to get even more genetics. What the team is doing now is trying to expand what that means, like can, we're creating new fancy cats, uh, fancy cats are just like a set of cats with like really special traits, um, that if you breed it in the right combination, you get something that looks like a wizard or looks like a duck or looks like a sailor. Um, and then there's like the regular cats with like different traits. So they could have like cool hair or like funny eyes or like a crazy mouth or something. That's awesome. And so where did the, where did the inspiration for crypto kitties come from? Or were you in those early conversations when you were just kind of brainstorming through the ideas? So ideas wise, like not really, like literally for me, um, uh, Mac, who's one of the co-founders went up to all the designers and was like, Hey, uh, can you guys run me a cat? <laughs> And it needs to be like interchangeable with each other. And we're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and, and, and literally I drew like a cat in like a style that I would draw and I like put a toast on its head and I was like, yeah, that's cool. You can like put different things on its head. And eventually, um, I, Gile, who is the actual like cat artist now, um, he came up with this really cool, like way of drawing the cats and, and that's what they are now. Um, but that's kind of the extent that I was at, uh, in the initial conversations, I think we were just kind of inspired by uh, like crypto punks um, and then what they were doing with the smart contracts and like that, like what does that mean in terms of collectibles? Um, and then we just kind of ran with that idea. Tell me about crypto punks. I, I think I remember reading about this project several months ago or maybe a year ago, but tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So I don't know too, too much about it um, other than like just the website and looking at, I personally don't own any crypto punks, um, but it's quite similar. Um, punks are, I'm not sure if they're drawn by specific people, but they're, they have like specific traits. So you can get a punk with like green skin and like a tooth or something. Um, and you can buy them and they're unique and you can buy them from other people. I, I don't think it had anything like being breedable. Um, so that's kind of where CryptoKitties was a little bit different. Um, but essentially it was just like a token that had a unique trait to it and you could buy it and sell it. And that was pretty much it. We've talked to a, a number of people about the different projects they're working on. And generally, we, we start digging into kind of like the, the problem that they think that they're solving, the opportunity that they might spot. It, it sounds like CryptoKitties might be a little bit different, but something you said in the very beginning is that there, this was sort of a, a, an opportunity to prove the viability of a use case mm -hmm. um, for blockchain technology. And so I'm curious, as this project has evolved, how has your perspective changed in terms of um, maybe going from something that's a lot of fun and interesting to having like more utility to the community and its ability to prove the robustness of a technology or lack thereof. Yeah, for sure. Um, oh man, I think there's a lot to unpack there. So, so when, when I started design, I mean, I've, I've only really been designing stuff for CryptoKitties for the last like month or something. And all the articles that I was reading about what 
good design for blockchain was, was all around um, things around like key storage and like education and security um, and like trading. So design for blockchain, at you know, generally overall is like, how, how do we keep people secure? But when we start thinking about things like CryptoKitties and we start thinking about like non-fungible tokens, I think there's a new paradigm that we could be thinking about. So some of the things that we're thinking about now and um, the, the t- like, especially uh, Gile, who's the artist on it. Um, uh, I, I think he gave this quote at, um, like, I think, uh, uh, one of the, one of the conventions that he was at, but he, he said that, you know, in his opinion, blockchain has the potential to change the course of digital art. And, and what he means by that is with the advent of a non-fungible token kind of means like ownership on the blockchain is something different. So like, sure. Like the way that people have been thinking about designing for the blockchain traditionally has been like, Oh, how do we keep people secure? How do people not lose their keys? How do people... Um, like know what blockchain is and how that's different from kind of like regular products um, to now, I think we're kind of opening the advent of like, well, what does ownership on uh, a digital platform mean? Um, so how do we, how do we create something that's unique? And, and it's not something that can be done in like a regular game. Cause a lot of the times we're having these conversations internally and, and, you know, we're saying, Oh, what, you know, why don't we have this feature? And people are like, well, how is that different than a regular game? Like you can do this in like a, in like a, like a mobile game that you're building. And then I was like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's, it's, it's about the ownership. It's about, um, and then I think further to the ownership, like once you own something on the blockchain, like how can you, um, like, put it on a different platform? How can you extend the capabilities of, uh, of that token that you own? And, um, that's, that's more, I think what we're thinking about, like, so the new advent of design and the new advent of like product development for blockchain is like, okay, well, how can we like remix, uh, tokens that you own? How can we create, how can we build, um, experiences on top of the experience that we built? Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a little bit newer and different way of thinking about designing for blockchain. I wanted to go a little bit deeper on that. And I, I guess from a designer perspective, so my background's in UX as well. And so I'm constantly going at things like, you know, what's the problem to be solved, right? And, and how is this going to help my user or society in general? And I'm curious, as you've started working in blockchain and working on CryptoKitties and then kind of, I guess, extrapolating the the utility of of blockchain to maybe other ideas or use cases, what are some of the big opportunities that you see in terms of problems to be solved maybe from a design perspective less less technologically and more so like where where are the big opportunities that you see yeah so i think currently there's a lot of there's there's a lot of project there's a lot of um uh sorry like things that haven't been solved from a design perspective so i mean back to like the articles that i've been reading like they're they're all true right the the issue is that there's nothing standardized. So when you build something for mobile, there's like a lot of standardizations that you can go to, like, well, what are some best practices for, you know, like the size of a phone and the relation to your hand, things like that, um, where to place a button, things like that. Um, in t- I think like design in the last couple of years have gotten really good at standardizing for like web and mobile development. Um, and like, you know, guys like Envision and, uh, like sketch and whatnot are, are caring a lot about um, like design systems. Um, but there's nothing like that for blockchain. So I think the easiest thing and the easiest opportunity is like, well, what are these design systems for blockchain specifically from like a user experience perspective? Like what is a good onboarding experience? Because onboarding to a DAP or a game is like one onboarding, but onboarding to like a wallet is a different onboarding. So how do you mesh these together? Can you mesh these together? Should you, uh, what type of education uh, do you need in that? Um, Furthermore, like if someone is downloading a wallet, like how is that different from a regular account? So there's a lot of education needed around um, like why is it important that I keep my own private key? Um, like should I trust a centralized organization to keep uh, my private key? If I do trust them, like what are the things I should look for? Um, so I think a lot of these things like there could be some standardizations across the board, right? Like, yes, these are like different types of logins that you need. And like, I I guess the big question maybe then is like, how do we teach the public that these things are different and and like shift the paradigms uh, a little bit um, from what we know now to like blockchain as a, as a new technology. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, just you know, reflecting on your experience at CryptoKitties and and being in the blockchain space, are there any high level, I guess, uh, maybe takeaways or patterns that you've started to identify in terms of best practices from a UX perspective, whether that that is onboarding or key management or anything like that? Yeah, for sure. Um, onboarding. Uh, yeah, like best practices is like always like users are just going to do whatever you tell them to do. Um, so if, if you say like, Hey, you need to save this and you need to tell them it's important, then they're like, Oh, okay. So much, much like how, when you say sign up for like one password or something, they're like, do not lose this key. And they call it like, you know, like the emergency PDF or whatever, like that stuff is important. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, yeah, like, like letting people know what's important, uh, is one thing. Uh, Another thing that we realized was, um, again, back to the point of like, people are just going to do what you tell them as long as your DAP is really well designed. Um, I'll get into that in a sec as well. Um, if is, uh, like the people who are crazy about crypto kitties, like there's so much friction to go through at the front end and like, yeah, we're trying to fix that. But, um, like a bunch of people just downloaded MetaMask cause it was like the easiest thing to do. And a bunch of people went to Coinbase to get, to get money. Cause that was the easiest thing to do. And there's like other ways to get um, Ethereum. There's like other wallets you can use, um, but because we tell them to do it. So I think there is a little bit of responsibility from us to say like, well, what is the best way forward? Um, what do you need to learn? Um, and, and a lot of, I think a lot of the things that we're thinking about is around education um, and around like getting users to understand what, what the key differences are, but then as well, like how do we make it easy for them? So things that we're struggling with is like, you know, what's, what's something that's like really easy for users, but what do we also have to teach them? Right. Like what we, um, with the advent of like any new technology, like we have to tell them that, yeah, there's some advantages, but there's also disadvantages. Um, yeah. And then, and then I was saying earlier, like, how do you build a DAP, you know, that, that people care about. And at the end of the day, like it's a lot of it is game design. It's how do you make something fun and engaging for users? So for, for crypto kitties, it's okay, cool. Now that I bred a cat, uh, what do I do next? And, and how do I expand the realm of what we're offering? Um, so that's a lot also of, of things that we're thinking about. You know, people have given us feedback, like, cool, I bought a cat. I don't know what to do now. Um, or like, okay, cool. It's kind of expensive to like, get a fancy is there anything else that we can do and and so again right like it's back to game design how do you how do you build something that's um that people want to play and want to engage with well speaking of of i guess collecting that feedback and kind of validating things i i think that zach and i have spent a lot of time in our careers thinking about how you go about validating assumptions right everything that we do is an assumption and there are some things i think that whether it's UX or whether it's product management in traditional software design that are just kind of tried and true, right? And so we can we can start to rely on some conventions and some best practices. But inevitably going into a space, a blockchain space, there there are going to be things that we might, you know, at, at first glance think that we'll just do it the way we always have done it. And then it doesn't work. And I'm curious uh, how you think about validating some of those assumptions. Yeah, for sure. Um, we've traditionally been really bad at, uh, user research, um, at the company because everything is so agile. Everything is so fast paced. There's so many good practices. And recently we've been really honing in on like, well, what does good user research mean, especially within blockchain? Um, the, the thing that really occurred to me was that because this is a new technology, like, like there's so many headaches like because this is a financial technology there's things within legal that we didn't even realize that we needed to get over so um so user testing became really important um like one of the lessons that i I was talking to someone recently and they're like you know what are the things that you've learned and i'm like it's going to take way longer to get to an mvp um, if you're working with like the technology itself um because you know, like you guys said, there's a, there's very little that's good practice, you know, to um, engineering and security. There's like a lot more implications um, that, you know, people could be losing keys and whatnot. Um, 
because it's so new, it's also really hard to build things yourself. So you're probably going to be relying on like third parties. Um, and yeah, so, I mean, that was like a thing that we kind of realized, like, well, if we have to integrate third parties, like how do we test that interaction? Um, so a good example. Yeah. I was just going to ask if you could list out some examples. That's actually something I, I feel like on the one hand, in some of the conversations we've had, some people have said, well, actually, you know, it's quite similar to how you develop normal software products. You have, in the case of Ethereum, you have these different test nets and you just develop on the test nets and then test, you know, but it's actually relieving in many ways to me to hear that it is a little more difficult because that was my assumption. So yeah, would love to hear a couple of different examples that you may have there. Yeah, for sure. Like, I mean, the initial things, right? Like education, good UX, teaching people like, you know, what security is. That's, that's all a good practice. But like, like for the example, for us, like our onboarding, you have to download MetaMask, right? That's like a third party tool. Like, you know, typically you'll just be like, oh, I'll just integrate it and people will figure it out. But like, no, there's like a ton of friction there. Like you have to go to this website, you have to download this third party app, like you have to get Ethereum through them. Like that's, that's a lot of things. So right now, um, when we're thinking about integrating third parties, um, a little, a bit of what I'm thinking about is how do I fake these interactions when I'm doing some of these like early wireframes so that people can see the friction, um, so that when we put it into like the final product, we can actually like preemptively design for these frictions. Um, again, right. It's like a, it's like a bit of a back and forth between like, do we release it now? We release it quick. We release it in a very agile way. And then we'll like kind of deal with the education later. You know, that's, that's a balance between like you and your team and like the speed you want to move at. Um, but I think it's important to think about like the implications of what happens if you do integrate with third parties. And then again, right. Like if you integrate with like say exchanges, um, uh, let's say you're trying to like build a product that's an exchange. Like, what are the implications from like a legal standpoint? Like, are you dealing with money? Are you dealing with people's monies? Um, like, if your if your application is like trying to like centralize some of the experiences, like again, like what type of security measures do you need to take? And yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot of things there. Definitely, you talked a little bit about faking the friction in some of those third-party interactions. In a a previous interview that we were doing, we we actually got into this a little bit in that I think that going forward, the user experience in blockchain, you know, much like anything else that's open source, it becomes sort of a community responsibility to really be thinking about the endpoints because there there are inputs and outputs from the products that we're building. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, do you have any examples of like faking faking that friction um, to sort of get feedback on that from a user perspective? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'll go back to the previous example of like, say, integrating, uh, like MetaMask. Uh, maybe, maybe I'll talk more specifically about like Coinbase. Cause like downloading MetaMask is pretty easy because you just download it, you make an account, whatever. Um, getting Ethereum is really difficult. Um, so there's like a lot of ways I think for people to get Ethereum, especially in Canada. It's, it's super hard. You like can't really get a lot like Coinbase doesn't work very well in Canada. Um, so if anyone's downloaded MetaMask and you like click the deposit button and you click the buy from Coinbase, like that doesn't work in Canada. Um, so yeah, so, so we had to like uh, try and figure out some different ways. So we have, I think uh, there's like some things we're working on that's like, if you're in the US, do this. Like if you're in the state, if you're outside of the States, do this. Um and so I, I think for user testing, like we need to get users from like a lot of different places and a lot of different backgrounds um, to test that interaction. Cause like, yeah, if you're in the States, it might be easy, but like, how can we imitate that experience if you're not in the States? Would love to hear a little bit about the process of, you know, setting up user testing and, you know, to the point that you just made, recruiting people for, that represent a diverse range of interaction experiences. How, how do you go about that? Yeah. So, I mean, currently we haven't done too, too much. I've, I've interviewed a couple of people that's um, like not in North America and they have a couple of interesting tidbits about getting Ethereum uh, in like different ways. Um, but the way that I'm setting up the user test right now is um, 
I have kind of like a standard quotient of the type of people that I want. So when I talk to some of the people internally, they're like, oh, shouldn't we be, shouldn't we be making it like super accessible for anyone like my mom? And, and the thing I say to them is like, no, no, no. Like at the point that CryptoKitties is at right now, like your mother should not play it. Like it's still kind of like a niche game. It's still not everyone needs to be in it. So because of that, I actually have like a baseline of technical savviness that I have um, for people that I want in. So for like CryptoKitties specifically, you know, I've outlined like you need to be able to know how to like reset your password by yourself. Like, you know, you can't ask anyone else or like you have to be somewhat interested in uh, like gaming or collectibles or something like that. Um, and then based on that criteria, I'll start recruiting people. Um, you know, we start out first, like friends of friends, who do we know locally? And then soon we'll like reach out to like the greater network. Um, I mean, in the past, I've used some different like websites to get um, user testing or like people for user testing. But at the moment, we're just kind of doing internally and like people we know because because it's so early that we're like, okay, like if if I just give them a t-shirt, is it cool if they come <laughs> in and I can ask them some questions? Yeah. Like, I don't think we're quite at the point uh, where I want to like recruit a bunch of people and then make sure I pay them and make sure that, you know, everything's going smoothly. It's, it's pretty ad hoc at the moment. Yeah. I did want to jump to a question that I was just reminded of. And, you know, this is also about assumptions, but more on the business side. Um, mm-hmm. Would love to hear a little bit about, you know, the business model for CryptoKitties um, to the extent that that's solved. Maybe it's not. Uh, and also, mm-hmm. you know, the reason I was thinking about it is you just, you talked about, you know, sort of we're in the early adopter phase. So how are you, in relation to business model, thinking about target market and market sizing for crypto kitties uh, at this point? Yeah. I mean, I don't have too, too much insight into that. Um, you're asking about like how crypto kitties yeah. like, makes money and who we're targeting. And, and, and the answer may be, we don't care about that right now because this is our first foray. <laughs> you know, there's no right answer, yeah. but just curious to hear. And I know for, for listeners, uh, and yeah. and us as individuals, we're we're all curious to understand how different projects are going about that right now. And and again, the answer today may be, don't worry about that yet. That that's actually kind of where yeah. folks have been leaning towards. But yeah, for sure. I mean, stuff upcoming. I'm not too too privy of because I mean that's not really my wheelhouse. I mean, at the, like when we started, I remember the all hands where we announced CryptoKitties. And it said, uh, yeah, we're taking a cut of like the breeding and we're taking a cut of, I think it was the, um, the, uh, the Gen Zero kitties that we sell. Um, but really it was meant to be like a fun project and it, we weren't gonna make a lot of money on it. And, you know, of course, when we sold a couple cats for like, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars, we're like, oh my goodness, people are really serious about this. What can we do about it? Um, and then I think we started looking a bit more seriously at it. Um, yeah, I'm not too sure. I mean, the Ubisoft, um, hackathon was just announced. So I think there's a, there's probably some partnerships, um, that we're looking at in terms of like expansion. Um, we've also expanded into, um, what we call Kittyverse. Um, so we, we want people to come in and build on top of our platform. So I think community is a big thing that we're thinking about. Um, I mean, that doesn't really answer like, the making money part, but that sort of answers maybe like the expansion, like h- how we're thinking about the future. It's like, we want to build on top of this platform. We want people to, to, to take, um, I think it was called like the nifty license program, um, where I think we allow people, I think there's like an amount of money that we want to allow for developers to build on top of crypto kitties. Um, so that's pretty cool. Um, and then, yeah, I think that's what they're doing at the Ubisoft hackathon is like, how do you build on top of crypto kitties? So I, I think that's pretty cool. Is there anything that you're thinking about from a UX perspective when it comes to the openness or the accessibility of CryptoKitties as a platform for other developers? I, and just to give you a, kind of a maybe a, an example, yeah. we've talked to another project that you know documentation for developers is a huge thing, right? And so they've given a lot of thought to the experience of actually onboarding for developers and what the the, the persona they actually used was a a developer at a hackathon and you know, what's the the minimum amount of documentation that would be usable and useful. 
to somebody trying to build something on top of that project. Just curious if, if you've given any thought to things like that from a developer perspective. Yeah. I mean, me personally, not yet. Like I've, I've talked to the project manager who's in charge of that. And I'm like, oh, what do we, what's our documentation like? It should be, should be accessible and easy. Um, I think we're the type of company that like we, and I sort of said this earlier, like we just kind of build stuff and then we'll kind of like fix it. And then as the UX designer, I'm like, oh, we could have done that better from the beginning. So I guess the short answer is not really. We haven't thought too, too much about it. For sure, we're going to think about it like once we get feedback onto it, uh, for it. Hackathons is a big thing for us. So when we launched CryptoKitties, we launched it at um, ETH Waterloo. So getting the feedback from developers was really important. In terms of documentation, I, I don't think there was too, too much. And I think we're trying to get better at that. And, and I know that there's there's a lot of work from like a communication aspect of like how do we improve communication and like education even for developers. Yeah, that should be should be coming down the pipeline. I was going to ask about uh, competition. You know, once CryptoKitties started, there was just this explosion of other projects that started popping up, and I mean, some of them are really just blatant copies uh, with minor tweaks. So. You know, as a designer, how are you thinking about dealing with that competition? Um, and I guess also on the topic, are there other projects that you look to or, or did look to initially for inspiration to, you know, help design and overcome some of the UX challenges? Yeah. So for the stuff that I'm working on, I actually looked a lot more to, um, because I'm working a lot more like platform wise and not so much the game design. Um, I'm looking at a lot of like, what wallets are doing, what the, what the kind of like heavy crypto apps are doing um, and how they deal with like onboarding and like security and, and things like that. Um, as for the game design, like, um, so David is our, is our UI UX designer for the, the product itself. And he was like a huge gamer. So he just kind of like implicitly had all these thoughts about like, you know, what, what could the cats be? He worked really closely with our artist, Gile. Um, in developing CryptoKitties. And I think for them, it's just like, well, it's just about like improving the current experience and making it the best it can. Like, I don't think we care too, too much about um, some of the, some of the other like copycats started coming out. I think all the people that are building for CryptoKitties were really embraced and all the people who were just kind of like taking our designs were like, that's, that's cool. That's how we know we're successful, right? Like other, other people are using our designs. Like, and, and the thing is like, as we're building as like David and his team are building the UI and improving it, like those other products are just going to look old by comparison. So, I mean, I think as long as we just kind of keep doing our thing, you know, time, time will tell who, who's actually more original and who's put more thought into it. Innovators versus imitators. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like David, uh, David and his team, like, you know, doing the UI, they're, they're working really closely with um, the community. So we've got a couple of like community, um, community managers. Um, so they're like super close in a team and like the people who like really care about crypto kitties, like really need certain features or like they notice some things that are small and they're always like, yeah, yeah, we can improve the UI in this way. And we can improve like search and we can improve, um, like, you know, it, it, even to the point of like new users, like how do we improve like that first, like that first buying experience, that first kitty education experience. Um, so yeah, so, so there's a lot of work with the community to help improve that. I wanted to dig into a little bit more of the design side. Um, and so you, you, you've given us a little bit of your background. You've worked in a lot of emerging tech and, I'm guessing that through your career, you've used a variety of different processes and deliverables and methodologies. I'm curious, in your day-to-day work with CryptoKitties, what are your go-tos in terms of you know processes, methods, deliverables? How are you going about your UX process? Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, we've always followed a pretty like agile methodology. Like, how do we uh, create sprints so that they're really lightweight? Um, how do we set goals so that we all are on the same page? We actually more recently have realized that when we had added all these people to CryptoKitties, like it just got too big and unwieldy for like a single sprint planning. Um, so we actually ended up splitting into, I mean, internally we're calling them pods. I think Spotify calls them squads, um, where they're more, um, you know, fast turnaround, um, small groups that works on particular, uh, I don't want to say features, but it's more like goal oriented. Like there's a, there's a goal that they're trying to solve. And then 
that feature team just kind of moves forward and, and designs and builds that. So that's been really successful. And that the reason it's successful is because that's where we came from, right? Like we came from like really small teams working really quickly to to build things. Um, and so when we kind of like expanded to like expanded really quickly, it was like, oh, we can't all be in the same room. Like we're all doing these different things. Uh, we need to have a better way. From like a design perspective, like we're just constantly iterating on like what design practice is best. So like how many meetings do we have? Like what types of meetings are they? Are they sync meetings? Are they like feedback sessions? Um, are they show and tells? I think for us, like the more communication, the better. So we, we've recently um, like changed some of the meetings around so that uh, we're like simplifying meetings. So the, the meetings are like show and tells so that we know what's going on. From like a design leader perspective for myself, it's about understanding like, well, what, what are people working on and what are the needs coming up? So how do we, how do we best like resource people for that? And how do we get the best people to work on different things? Um, so the combination of these things are working quite well and, and we're, we're moving a lot faster than, than we had been before. And you said you're on two or three week sprints. Currently, we're on two week sprints. You're on two week sprints. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, we, we've uh, worked with one week sprints before when we like really need to ship things, but those are those are. Tough. I've done that. It's it's a little harried. <laughs> yeah, engineers don't like one week sprints. No, it's not enough time. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious. Can you give us an example of maybe one of the goals that you might set with one of your pods for a two week sprint? Yeah, for sure. Um, it could be like improve. You know, like improve the UX of uh, like searching for a cat, for example. Um, you know, so that's a pretty tight goal. So that's a pretty easy, like, that's a pretty easy sprint to accomplish. I mean, things that are a little bit harder are like, you know, how do we improve, like, how do we improve like the gameplay or something of CryptoKitties? Like, that's sure. not a two-week, yeah, like, that, that's yeah, hard to be a yeah. two-week sprint. So how do we, how do we create the, um, like, what is the epic there? Um, how do we break that down into different releases? How do we work on our sprints um, so that we can kind of work towards that goal? Yeah. I, I, I think they had, we'll adapt, but I think like every two weeks we'll, we'll talk about what we're doing. So you've got, you've got your pods, you've got your goals, you've got your two week sprints. Mm -hmm. That all sounds pretty, pretty standard <laughs> for software development. Mm -hmm. What does your day to day look like with CryptoKitties from a design perspective? Is that different or is that unusual from the way you've worked in the past? Yeah. Well, for me, it's a little bit different because I, I hadn't concentrated too, too much on design research before. Um, so, you know, like sometimes we have like a single sprint where it's design research for, so for like the two weeks, it's like, okay, let's gather some data. But more recently, because there were so many issues with like new technologies and whatnot, we're like, I, I basically just dedicated my whole time to research, understanding people, um, working with other designers so that they would design the final product and that I would just do the research and kind of find some insights. Um, so that was really different for me because I'm really used to like finding the insights and then doing the design and I just like didn't have enough sure. time. So I was like, okay, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're working with multiple people here. I don't think that's different than a lot of what other people do. It's, I guess it's just different for me because we traditionally hadn't really been doing that. What's your process for handing off some of those or sharing some of those insights with designers that might be implementing? Them? Yeah. So there's a, a, a couple of different ways before we tried this process that we called three in a box, um, which essentially was a Google doc. And it had, um, had some things like, you know, what is a goal that you're solving for? What is, you know, what are some of the problems that we see? What are some of the user stories? And then we, it just be like a really long document. And then the reason it's called three in a box is because there's a designer, an engineer and a product person in it. Um, so as okay. it went yeah. from designer to designer, you would like have this document and you would like pass it to the next one. But we found it a bit too cumbersome. Like, you know, again, because we're agile, like we use, um, we use Zen Hub, which, you know, is a project management tool that we developed as Axiom Zen. Um, so I, that's similar, like to Trello or Jira. I, I find for design that was quite tough because there's like a lot of different issues and sometimes you need like a single place for all the things, which is why we tried the document. But again, that, that was a bit too cumbersome. Um, so we tried like presentations. So right now the, the findings that I'm making, I'm like putting it into like a Google Sheets. So that's really easy to present at the next design meeting. I find presentations are good because yeah, you can like reuse them to present with. So that's really good. What else are we doing? Who are typically in those design presentation meetings? Who are you playing this back to? Typically, it's the other designers in the room. I, I, I think it depends. So if it's like a pod meeting, then it's the couple of designers that are in that pod. And then it's everyone else, so like engineers and product managers um, and marketing or whoever else is part of that. Um, but as the design team, like we just meet ourselves to see what everyone's working on and get some feedback on that as well. 
And and how big are these pods, just to get a sense? Like five to like twelve people, but like not too big. Okay. Yeah. And and what's the composition of of a given pod? Yeah, so there's always there's always the owner, right? Like the pod leader. So that's typically like a product manager. Unless it's like really small. So if it's really, really small, it could be just like a designer and an engineer and like a front end engineer and like a back end engineer, for example. I guess a pod could be like maybe three three people as well. Uh, and then again, there's like a designer. Um, typically, it's a product designer. So the product designer kind of encompasses like designing the feature as well as understanding the users and the user needs. Um, the pod that I'm on is a little bit bigger because there's some like more difficult challenges. So I'm doing a lot of the UX research portion of it. We have another uh, UX UI designer uh, working on that. Our pod also has several engineers. So we have three engineers in our pod. Yeah. And then typically, so that's like a product pod. If there's another one that requires, so let's say we're releasing like a, say a fancy cat. Um, that's a lot more to do with like marketing, creative. Um, so that of course would comprise a lot of different people like that's not product related necessarily. So that would be, you know, maybe someone from marketing, um, someone from communications, uh, someone from creative and then, yeah, maybe like a couple people from creative. Very cool. Yeah. It's, it's I, I'm surprised there are quite a few people working on, on these different aspects of crypto kitties and you all are really expanding pretty rapidly. It's, it's pretty impressive. What is your hiring trajectory? Are you, are you hiring pretty quickly? Uh, you know what? Like traditionally, so here's the, here's the funny thing. Like, so I've been here for like four and a half, five years now. And like, we never really intentionally look for a role at Axiom Zen. We just kind of had like roles up and we're like, oh, someone comes in and they're like, right. And we really like them and they can add to the culture. We'll hire them, like make a role for them. And then like with the like advent of CryptoKitties, it's like, oh, like we need like a DevOps guy or like, oh, we need someone who's, you know, like really focused on like, we need like a front end designer. Um, so that's changed a lot. So, I mean, like, from my perspective as a designer, from like, as like the design lead, I can see, like, yeah, we'll probably need like another product designer. Like, yeah, we'll probably need maybe like another researcher. So, I think we're, we're growing, but we're also like, th- there's also a lot of people coming to us now because the project's really interesting. So, it's like, oh, like, you, what you do is really cool, but we didn't even have a job description for that. Like, how can we, how can we integrate uh, these new skills? I mean, I don't want to talk out of turn here, but I, I, I think we've been pretty flexible with our kind of hiring. It's like, there's a couple of like holes that we need to fill, but it's also like, if someone's really great, um, they can like add to the team, like we'll, we'll talk to them. Yeah. That's, it's interesting. As you described that, one of the things that keeps coming up for me is in looking at the team compositions of many of the projects in the blockchain space, one thing in or or one role in particular that seems to be coming up again and again is community manager or you know some some version of that and it seems to make a lot of sense right it's these are open source projects and you really particularly now when it's such an early stage of you know development in terms of the technology that it's built on in terms of blockchain you really need your early adopter users um so uh, I'd be curious to hear how is is that the case that community managers are really uh, sort of unique to blockchain and and how are you all dealing with that and how are you as a uh, U, UX person interacting with those community managers? Yeah, for sure. I think because a lot of these new DApps um, for blockchain are games specifically. I mean, there's a couple examples that's not a game like um, like Data NYC, like that's pure art. Um, so I don't think necessarily that they would need community managers, but because things like, you know, crypto kitties and like a, a bunch of these other devs are like game specific, like there's always the rabid fan that will like play the game. So we have a really tight relationship with, um, like Bitcoin Louie, um, who actually does live streams, um, whenever we do, whenever we do something like really interesting. So I think to, it was today he, he did like a live stream on, uh, like the world cup kitties. Um, so that was really cool, and it was really great to engage people. So because he he streams on Twitch, yeah, that's cool. Um, so yeah, so it, it was really um, important to make sure that he was engaged with the community, and they gave us a lot of feedback. Um, Jordan, who's actually he helped build a, a third party tool called uh, Kitty Hats, I think. Yeah, no, sorry, Kitty Kelk, uh, Kitty Kelk. 
Um, it's where you like calculate the probability of like breeding two cats together. Um, he's actually one of our <laughs> community managers as well. And we work super close with him to understand like what, what does the community want? What do they need? Um, how are they playing the game? Yeah. And the, the other thing that comes up a lot, like in addition to community managers, the thing I realize about, um, like these dApps and like blockchain projects is there's all these like discord groups and like telegram groups popping up and everywhere. Like it's crazy. Yeah. And, and I was like, how are people like productive at all when there's like this crazy chat that's going on all the time? I completely agree with that. It, it's, it seems impossible to keep up with all of the chatter that's going on. Slack times 10. Yeah. So I, I think that was really interesting to realize that like chat has become this medium for this new technology to like just chat about it. I don't know. I was like, what happened to forums? And I'm like, oh. That was like decades ago. <laughs> I just read it as a forum. I, I remember forums. Yeah. It is a yeah. forum, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, it, back to that question, I guess, yeah, community is, uh, it, it, we, we, we make sure to ensure that the community has a voice in, in, in what we're building. What are you all using in terms of, you know, tool, are you using Slack or, um, you know, what, what tools are you using to engage with your community and internally? For the community, we're using Discord. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, it's like the Slack for gamers, you know. So Discord is really great. Slack internally, we are using Slack. We are, I mean, as the team grows bigger, there's there's always issues, right? It's like yeah. how much Slack is too much Slack. Yeah, yeah. Some people have kind of gone back to email because Slack is too much. So it's kind of. I just read an article about that. <laughs> how people thought Slack was going to kill email, and they're going back to email to kill Slack. Yeah, so that's pretty hilarious. Um, and then again, we're using like our Zen Hub boards to do like task management and things like that. Um, but yeah, for the most part, it's like Slack, and then sometimes email, which is kind of funny. Well, why don't we jump into uh, a little bit of uh, talking about project success? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a big, uh, juicy topic. I think I'll start actually with one of these questions, which you, I think, alluded to before with regard to regulatory concern, the regulatory uncertainty of, you know, even blockchain technology in general. How are you all dealing with that as a group and specifically in UX? Um, how are you designing for that? Uh, and, you know, the possibility that your users could be in hot water if perhaps you sort of encourage them to go down a certain path. Yeah, um, I mean... Get a lawyer is maybe <laughs> the easiest answer of like, how do I know what to do or not do? Yeah. So we have a lawyer and, and he's great. And he, like when the whole GDPR thing came out, he's like, this is what we need to do. And this is what we need to change. And I'm like, okay. Um, so as a designer, it's more just like, well, what are the limitations? How do we design around that? How do we make sure that the experience is still good? Is your lawyer actively involved in conversations with the team or how does that that back and forth work? Yeah, typically, I mean, we'll have like questions. So anytime we engage like third party or, you know, something to do with like security or finance, it's like, is, is this cool? And kind of message him and he'll be like long message back. And, <laughs> yeah. Uh, like, like on GitHub, we'll like make an issue and he'll be like, this, this is all the things you can't do. And we're like, okay. You have your lawyer on GitHub? That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, because we were such a GitHub first company, like our, we had, uh, like when we started our only tool, like only now are we thinking of like tools outside of GitHub. Like our hiring is done through GitHub and ZenHub. Our like, like, like everything was done through like GitHub and ZenHub. It was like really nuts. And then only now are we like, okay, guys, I think we need to have like more specialized tools. But yeah, we got him into GitHub and he was like responding to things. But like, it's like a forum. Is he actually like reading pull requests or? No, just like issues. Just like making issues. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know what though? I did teach one of our um, uh, one of our writers how to make a pull request so that if she needs to do a update to the website, that she can just make a pull request directly in GitHub. I was like, yes. That's awesome. Do you find that your interaction with this lawyer is more now that you're working on CryptoKitties than, than previously? Yeah, basically like every other, I feel like every other day I'm talking to my project manager or my product manager and she's just, she's like in a meeting. She's like, oh, I just met with a couple lawyers today. And I was like, oh, cool. And she's like, okay, we <laughs> yeah. can't do this. And I'm like, oh, yeah. cool. <laughs> it's a lot of that. And, and it's a lot of, yeah, it's a lot of like, okay, well, we thought we could do this and we can't do this. I, I think that's why I said like, 
kind of earlier, um, things are going to take longer because there are going to be a lot of regulations and things you can or can't do. So for example, like there was a good example internally where we were trying to redesign something for like security and it took like a good week, two weeks of our security guy doing just like pure research on like what's out there, what's available. Yeah. Another example of that I've been thinking about is even it sounds like you all made a deliberate choice to go with uh, MetaMask as sort of a third party because that's essentially a part of your user experience. And in making a choice like that, what what risks are there in making a choice like that? And, and what is that process like for even vetting the options uh, for picking a third party tool like that? Yeah. I mean, for MetaMask, they're kind of the only one that can work with um, like Web3 yeah. right now. So it was kind of like a no brainer. It's like, well, we kind of have to use them. But as we move forward, um, yeah, there's going to be more and more options. And it's more just about weighing like that to your values and like, and understanding like, how do if there are flaws with it like how do we support it so for example like uh like coinbase like there's a lot of exchanges now um where you can integrate with so i guess internally with the team value understanding what is the value that we're getting if we partner with these this third party um what is the benefit to us if we do integrate this how do we design a good experience around this because there are going to be a lot of headaches that we can't control so is there stuff that we can tell beforehand um, to teach them? So if you are going to Coinbase, there's this weird thing that they make you do where you have to like send like a couple cents to them and then they send it back to you. And that's like a really weird thing that people don't do. And so how do you teach people that? Or how do you make sure that they're not like freaked out when they use it? So a, a bunch of people I actually interviewed were um, at some point were friends of the people who work here who ended up not playing CryptoKitties. And I just asked them, I was like, what stopped you from playing CryptoKitties? And they're like, I just didn't understand like how to get Ethereum. I didn't understand what Ethereum was. There were all these steps. I just didn't do it. And I was like, okay, cool. Tell me more. What was friction? What did you wish that you knew beforehand? Yeah. So it would be great to hear a little bit more about how you think about roadmap and launch strategy and you know what's coming down the pike for, for CryptoKitties. Yeah, I, I don't think I can talk too much about that in terms of what we are planning. But but for sure, there's like a lot of like um, frictions with the game right now. So one is like, what is the game? You know, you kind of land on the landing page and it's cool. They're breedable. Cool. They're unique. But like, what is the actual like game itself? So like, I think teaching people, you know, why breeding is important. What are fancy cats? What is a fancy chase? Um, I think a lot of the education uh, is really important. Um, other things like, you know, clearly that friction at the very beginning of like making an account, downloading MetaMask, getting Ethereum, like that's really difficult. So, I mean, those are really easy things to fix. Um, I think down the line, it's just more like, how do we, how do we get people to, how do we use CryptoKitties as a platform to get people excited about blockchain? And I think back to what I was saying before about, you know, th the thing that Gile was really excited about our artist is for him, it's it's about changing ownership digitally and, and changing what it means to like put a price tag on something like because like I, I, I was an artist. I remember when I was like younger, I wanted to get into art and I've actually had never drawn like painted with a paintbrush before. And I learned how to draw digitally and all the art that I was making, it wasn't easier to do digitally it was just different and you know i went to a lot of conventions when i was younger and i was like why is it that this piece of digital art why is it so like cheap and you know it's like not worth a whole lot and it's super yeah it's like super undervalued whereas like this piece that someone just like threw paint on is like 300 bucks i didn't get that and and so i i, I think that's like the the big opportunity is how do we take digital and how do we give value to it? Um, and I think, yeah, that's like a lot of, it's a lot of what we're thinking about. Like, what does that actually mean? Yeah, no, it's, it's a big, exciting area, I think. And you mentioned uh, Dada NYC, which is doing some really interesting stuff as well, I think, in, in that sort of realm. Um, so you, you talked a little bit about 
friction and, you know, obviously you're engaged in the community and you're getting feedback in that way. But in, in this world of open source and, uh, the whole community not being particularly fond of being tracked, uh, how are you getting a sense of user tracking and KPIs and metrics? Are you tracking any metrics to understand where folks are getting stuck? And if so, how are you doing that while, you know, navigating the ethos of the community? Yeah. I mean, I mean, we kind of have to track, um, like, you know, what our bounce rate is and how many people hit the site and how many people leave after like which steps. So I think that's stuff we can track like we should track and that's not really dealing with anyone's personal data. Cause it's just like, it's just a set of numbers. We don't know where the numbers come from necessarily. I, I think we're doing all the kind of regular things there. Like we're tracking how many people visit the site, how many people stay for a certain amount of time, how many like returning visitors there are. So I think that's, I think that's okay. I think the harder thing is maybe, you know, with like the GDPR, it's, it's like getting more of a, like getting people's emails so that we can, give them a more customized experience. Like, like the whole point of a drip campaign, like sure it is to get you to come back to, to like maybe purchase something on a site. But the other benefit of like having say drip campaigns and having more customized email campaigns is we can then customize that to you. Like, Hey, we know that maybe you're running low on ether and Hey, we found like a good deal on this site for you. Like maybe we can help you out there. Um, so I think there's a, balance like we're not really thinking about it too much but i i think i don't know like i talked to a couple of marketing people recently and they're like oh like this whole gdpr thing is really difficult because like we are giving you more value like otherwise we're going to go backwards and we're going to say like everyone gets the same like marketing email like you know maybe that's less interesting there there is a there's a fine line i think and people consumers haven't really figured out how to navigate that yet because i think if you if everything was plain vanilla yeah you wouldn't like it right there would be no personalization it wouldn't be something that you'd want to engage with so you're you're absolutely right there's some level of that that i think people will continue to want but it's figuring that out for sure yes so you know we wouldn't be fork the product if we didn't ask uh about how you and the team think about the fact that and and especially now since I, I saw that recently you're open sourcing more and more of the things that weren't open source before. Uh, but how do you think about the possibility that people can just fork your code and copy what you're doing more and more? I think that's great. Like, I think, you know, we had this, when we were trying to like define our values at some point, I remember I was like creating something. I was like, what are our values? Like how, how decentralized do we need to be? And we're like decentralized enough. And, I think people like forking our product is cool, right? Like let's build on top of it. Let's build from each other's learnings. Um, I, we, we, we talked about this earlier, like people copying our product, like, cool, you can copy our product, but as long as we're kind of like on top of the game, we're like improving our own product. Um, let's just build all these like other experiences around it. Um, I think, I think that's great. Yeah. It's interesting. The, the team that's developing the balance wallet, uh, I'm blanking on his name, but uh, he has a very similar answer to that. And, you know, their belief is that as long as they are the original developers and they're building, you know, back to community, the community knows who the team is that's developing, you know, the thing that they care about most. And as long as they continue to to crank out really good stuff, then they'll, they believe that the users will be loyal to them. So it, it's interesting. Well, and I think it's something that we've seen, I mean, since the early days of HTML, right? Like I learned how to code by viewing source, like millions of other people. And that was cool. And it is cool. And and I think it's the same situation where if we can look at something and say, that's really cool. I want to do something like that and then take it in a new direction. That's exciting. Yeah, totally. Oh, man. Yeah, we, we had this like concept of decentralized enough internally. Um, I think that's, you know, that's one of the values of CryptoKitties is like, how can we, how can we make a pro like, how can we make a game that's, yeah, building on the ethos of decentralization and like everyone holding value and everyone being a part of the system. But then how can we, as like the owners of like this game, like support that and, and build tools for that and, and uh, like, yeah, just keep, keep pushing that forward. 
so is that is that a topic that you sort of continuously discuss and explore as a as a team? Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's less, it's like well, what are what are like the main values? Um, like our Roham, uh, Roham, our CEO is always like, we just need to make a better user experience. Let's do anything to make a better user experience. It's like yes, but. I, t- I agree as a user experience designer, but like also what is the ethos of the product and what are we pushing forward? Um, I think there's a fine balance. Like there's got to be something that you stand for. Um, but then there's also something that like we can make it easy for the users. Cause, and I think a lot of, I think a lot of designers kind of maybe implicitly know that it's like, well, what do you control to pull your user through the experience? But then also like, how can you support them? Like, right? cause I think if everything was up to the user, then you know, you might not get the best product, but like you as the person with the insight that knows a little bit more and knows a little bit about like the values and what you stand for, you, you can kind of like pull them along that journey. So we have a question that we like to ask just to wrap up. We'd like for you to share something personal about yourself that might surprise our listeners. Uh, I think the weird fun fact about me is that I've had my head shaved before because I participated in a cancer cut when I was like in grade 11. Um, not a great time in my life when you're a teenager and you don't have hair and you're really self-conscious, not cool. But at the time I was like, I have a friend, she's sick. I want to support her. I'm going to have my hair cut off too. Amy, thank you so much. It was really a pleasure finally, uh, arranging this and speaking with you and hearing all about crypto kitties. And we will be, you know, watching very excitedly from the sidelines and seeing how it all takes shape and, and we'll certainly be in there and hanging out in the community as well. <laughs> cool. Sounds good. Sounds good. If you guys are up in uh, Vancouver, come uh, come give us a shout. All right. Thanks, guys. Yeah.